Well, welcome to Grace Fellowship Church. I'm really glad that you've chosen to tune in today. My name is Pastor Peter, and I get to serve as the Fort Thomas campus pastor. And this is a very different Easter Sunday for us in some ways, but in other ways, it is not. It's different in that we're meeting online and we're apart, but we get to be alone together on this special day. But it's not different at all because we're still celebrating the same Jesus, the same Savior who is risen. He is risen indeed. And so before we take a time to sing praises to our risen Savior, I want to do something that I've been doing for several years at the Fort Thomas campus. And I take some time at the beginning of our Easter service to present the gospel, but particularly to the youngest among us. And so if you're a kid and you're watching along, I want to call your attention to what I'm about to do because I want to share the good news of Jesus Christ with you particularly. So I don't know how far away you're sitting from your television, but maybe you want to move on up because I want you to see everything. No fingerprints on the screens. No, fi- some, some dads get very upset about that. Uh, I've heard. So, but come as close as you like because we would really want you to see what we're about to do because I want to share with you the good news of Jesus Christ, the good news of the gospel. That's what gospel means. It actually means good news, which many of you probably knew that from your Sunday school lessons, but I want to go back to it and share it with you again and hope that you enjoy this time. So let me read to you from uh, the scriptures from 1 John. 1 John says this in verse, uh, chapter 1 and verse 5, this is the message we have heard from him, that means from Jesus, and proclaim to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. No darkness, no sin. God is 100% holy, 100% pure. There's no sin, no darkness in him at all. In fact, when he created the universe, he created it without any sin. It was pure. It was holy. It was magnificent. And that's the way he even created uh, the first human beings. When he created Adam and Eve, they did not have any sin within them. He created everything and said it was all very good, meaning 100% pure, 100% without sin. And so take a look at this bottle here, uh, and you could see this clear water right here. Let's let this represent how God created uh, all things, how he created us to be in constant fellowship with him because he is pure and in him there is no darkness at all. But if you know anything about the Bible, you know that it didn't last that way for long and that Adam and Eve Uh, did what they were told not to do, right? They were told to not, what, eat the forbidden fruit. They could eat from any tree in the garden except that one tree, that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because on the day that they eat of it, what would happen? They would surely die. That's what God told them. But they disobeyed. And when they disobeyed, all of a sudden, uh, the way they were created, which was totally pure, was changed forever. And sin entered into their hearts and totally took over their minds. And now we'll let this blue represent sin. But you can see how it's not, it's not pure. It's not crystal clear anymore, right? It's, it's changed. And nothing could take it out. Nothing could take this away. It doesn't matter how hard they tried. They could never do something to undo what they had just done. And you know what, friends? It's the same with you And it's the same with me. Our hearts 
are not pure. Our minds are not holy. We have a sinful nature. And that's why we make sinful choices all the time. And there's nothing that we can do to change our hearts. And there's therefore there's nothing we can do to then have that relationship with God that we were created to have. We can't hope our sin, our, our, our good outweighs our bad. We can't hope that we could maybe one day go back in time and undo things that we did. We don't have an option. We don't have a shot because all of a sudden we look at this, right? It's no longer pure. It's no longer perfect. But here's the good news. We don't only have this. We have something else. And that's what we're celebrating today. We have Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ, as you know, died on the cross for sinners like you and like me. And so his blood cleanses us from that sin. And so Jesus Christ, his blood, when he spilled it on the cross for sinners like you and like me, came into our lives and into our world, and a change happened. A change happened that couldn't happen any other way. There's no way you could cause this change. There's no way I could cause this change. Your parents couldn't cause this change. Only Jesus Christ himself and his blood could do this. Let me read to you the rest of what the scripture says in 1 John uh, chapter 1, beginning in verse 6. And watch this as I read it. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. We can't say, oh, we're okay, while we have darkness or sin in our life, in our hearts. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And we're changed, we're made new. What can wash away our sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And that's the good news that even though we can't change ourselves, even though we can't change our own hearts or minds, God can. And if you have faith, if you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, you can be changed too. You can be saved. Your heart can be changed and you can have a right relationship with God. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And that's what I wanted to share with you again today. We celebrate a risen Savior, one who died for our sins, but didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave and he's alive right now. And so I want to encourage you to think about this good news, this gospel message that I proclaimed to you, but really was first proclaimed to me from God's word that I wanted to share with you to consider yourself, consider your relationship with God. You know, the gospel in Christianity, it's not just a grown-up thing. It's not just something adults do. God saves kids just like you. He saves people of all ages. And it's my hope and prayer that you would put your trust in Jesus Christ while you're young, sooner rather than later, so you can walk with him all the more throughout the rest of your life. So let me pray, and then we'll continue in our worship service together. Father in heaven, we thank you so much 
for the good news of Jesus Christ, the good news of the gospel. Thank you for sending your son for sinners like us and having him die on the cross to pay for our sins, that his blood would wash away all of our sins. Lord, I pray for each of these people who are watching, particularly the little ones. Oh God, would you come into their life? Would you change their hearts now? Would you give them a a love for you? Lord, would you have them put their faith and trust in you that they would walk with you and serve you for the rest of their lives? We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks so much for uh, giving me your attention. And now we're actually going to sing another uh, a worship song. And it's also going to be done by the kids that are in our church. So I hope you'll watch and I hope you'll sing along. One, two, three, days in the grave. One, two, three, but Jesus wouldn't stay. One, two, three, days in the grave. On the third, Jesus was raised. Saw him back from the dead Raised from the grave Just as he said Many people saw him Back from the dead Raised from the grave Just as he said One, two, three Days in the grave One, two, three But Jesus wouldn't say One, two, three
Pouring down 
spikes that nailed Christ to the cross Caused him agony Where was the power that healed the lame And caused the blind to see The soldiers mocked and spit on him Gambling for his clothes Where was the power that made the world And tells the wind to blow His power was in the love Pouring out for us It was in the choice To stay on that cross Oh, the mighty Undefeated love of Christ Oh, the mighty that would change everything. You would lay your life down to bring us to the Father, to make our lives right. There's no greater love than this. Oh, how we thank you and praise you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.
A worldwide pandemic has shut down all of our church facilities and has scattered us in worship today. But it cannot dampen or diminish the glorious truth of what the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ has accomplished for every one of us. In fact, the death and resurrection of Jesus are only more precious to us than ever this year. Because the death and resurrection of Jesus declare forevermore that yes... Our God does care about our world and cares deeply about the people in it. Oh, in the midst of unprecedented fear and confusion today, I want to talk to you about the love of God that is like no love in this world. Which is why we sing about it and write about it and talk about it so much, right? God's love, God's love, the love of God. But if you were honest, you'd probably have to admit that there are still times when you doubt whether or not God really loves you. Times when the circumstances and confusion in your life of all that's going on and in the world around you just all starts to drown out any felt sense of God's love for you. What do you do then? Where do you look for reassurance of God's love? Years ago in the movie Patch Adams, Hollywood wrestled with this whole issue of God's love or compassion, especially in the face of calamities that so often slam into our lives without notice, like what we're all going through right now. And in the movie, Robin Williams plays the role of Dr. Adams, where in one of the most troubling scenes, he's standing on the edge of a cliff after his fiancée has been tragically murdered while she was trying to help someone. And he looks up into the sky and he says... Tell me what you're doing. Answer me. And after a few seconds of silence, he says, okay, let's look at the logic. You create man. Man suffers enormous amounts of pain. Man dies. Maybe you should have had a few more brainstorming sessions just prior to creation. You rested on the seventh day. Maybe you should have spent that day on compassion. Oh, listen to me. That movie script does what Hollywood loves to do. It grossly misrepresents God by leaving out one of the most damning pieces of information That could explain and help all of us to understand what in the world is going on now. And why is it filled with so much pain and suffering? Hollywood slanders God when it says, you create man, man suffers, man dies. End of story. Because folks, that's not the whole story. It's not even half the story. The reality is that God created man, both men and women, 
in his own image and delighted in them greatly and placed them in a glorious and perfect world free from any pain and suffering. But man of his own free will rejected God by rebelling and sinning against him, thereby throwing himself and all of creation into chaos. So that now, yes, man suffers enormous amounts of pain on multiple levels. And all of creation groans under the weight of sin and suffering. But God... Despite our rejection and rebellion against him, sent his own dear son into this world of chaos and suffering to die for us and to rise again, conquering sin and suffering and Satan and hell and death forevermore. That's What Easter is all about. And that's what the message from God's word in Romans chapter 5 is all about. As it breathes hope and life into a world of darkness and despair. Like what we are experiencing right now with a worldwide pandemic. Oh, turn with me in your Bibles To one of the greatest, richest books in all the Bible, the book of Romans. And actually go to Romans chapter 4, beginning of verse 23. I want to catch the end of chapter 4 as we head into chapter 5. Romans chapter 4, beginning in verse 23. Now here's what's going on. All of chapter 4, he's been talking about Abraham, Old Testament character. And he's been driving home the argument that no one has ever been saved by works. You hear people sometimes say, oh, they were saved by works in the Old Testament and now we're saved by faith and grace. And Paul is saying, no, even Abraham was saved by faith. Every person has been saved by faith. Chapter four, verse 23, the words it was credited to him were not written for him alone, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness for us who believe in him, who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Now, here's what Paul's going to do. Now, in chapter 5, he's going to give some glorious implications of the death and resurrection of Jesus. So what? Why does it matter? What did did it accomplish? How was his death different than anyone else's? And why does it matter that he rose from the dead? Can we let go of that? Can we say, oh, well, we don't know whether that's true or not? Chapter 5 gives glorious implications of here's what was accomplished when Jesus died for us. And rose again. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing 
That tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For when we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us. In that while we were still sinners, Christ Died for us. Oh, from this passage, I want to give you some assurances of God's love that is like no other love in this world. Here's the first thing I want you to see about the love of God. Number one, look at how God's love interrupts and reinterprets your suffering and confusion. And it all starts with that glorious phrase in verse eight. But God. Everything was headed this way, but God. All things were looking like it was going to end like this, but God. But God. You see it in verse 8? You ought to circle that. Mark it in your Bible. But God. The Bible I'm using, the translation I have, uses that phrase 50 times. 50 times, but God comes crashing in to interrupt and redirect What we were thinking, what we deserved, where we were headed, and how it was all going to end. But God, you might be thinking right now, there's not a soul in this world that cares about you. But God. Your whole world right now might be upside down, rocking and reeling. In one of the most confusing times you've ever been in. But God. You might feel overwhelmed and numb. By the waves of uncertainty that just keep crashing into your life. One after the next. But God. Oh, listen to me. God's word assures us that the love of God interrupts. And reinterprets our circumstances and our suffering. Because he comes crashing in by his spirit. Nothing can stop it. He doesn't need permission. By his spirit he pours out his love in our hearts. Oh listen to me. God moved first. Because God loves most. Let me give you a second assurance from this passage. Number two, look at how God's love stands proven for all time. God's love stands proven for all time. Did you pick up on that in verse eight? So you need to understand. I know this is hard for us living in a fallen, broken, confusing, scary, dark world. But God doesn't need to do anything new for you to prove his love to you. He doesn't need to write something with his finger on the sky or answer all of your questions why. We tend to think 
right now, I need new evidence, new proof, something fresh, something tangible, something real, something demonstrable that would assure me of God's love. But this passage tells us God isn't going to do anything new and doesn't need to do anything new because what he has done, there's nothing greater that he could do. And the other thing this passage teaches is what he has done in his son is not all in the past. It is right now in the present demonstrating something to us. His love. Oh, look at verse 8 again. Because it gives us the answer. How do I know God loves me? How do I know I'm not alone? How, I, how do I know I have not been abandoned? What's the greatest proof of God's Love. Is it diverting tornadoes? Is it redirecting flood waters? Is it stopping the coronavirus? Is it straightening crooked limbs or catching crashing planes before they hit the ground? The answer is right there in verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Well, the death of Christ on the cross for your sin will always be the greatest demonstration of God's love. There's nothing greater he could do for you. Because it solved your greatest eternal tragic problem. Your sin problem that separated you from a holy God. And would land, and would land you in a Christless eternal tragic destiny. Separated from God forever. But God. Which is why literally in the Greek... In verse 8 right there, you could translate verse 8 based on the original language just like this. But God is constantly proving. But God, the verb tense is in the present indicative, ongoing. But God is constantly proving his own love toward us. How? In that while we were still sinners, Christ Died for us. Oh, listen to me. Don't dig into your present circumstances for proof of God's love. Don't even project yourself out into the future looking for evidence of it. Where do you look for proof of God's love? You look back. You look back to the cross and what he has done in his son. There is the greatest and forevermore ongoing continual proof of his love for us. Which is why the Apostle Paul, just three chapters later in Romans chapter 8, says this. Verse 31, Romans 8. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And our human hearts cry out, wait a minute, how do I know God is for me? How, how, how do I know that? What evidence do I have? What proof do I have? Verse 32. 
He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all on the cross. How shall he not also with him freely give you all things? It's the death of Jesus Christ. It's the death of Jesus Christ that proves God's love. And it's worth noting in verse 8 that there are two great verbs in that verse that begin and end that verb, that verse. But those verbs are in two different tenses. Two great verbs begin and end that verse in different tenses. Look at the end of the verse. Christ died for us. What tense is that in? Past tense. Accomplished, done, finished, over. And so it it only stands to reason that then Paul would have begun verse 8 with the same verse tense, verb tense. But God demonstrated back then his love when Christ died for us. But he didn't write that. He didn't say that because he was inspired by the Holy Spirit. Instead, he put it in the present tense and said, but God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The love that sent his son to the cross is a love that keeps going. It's a love that's still on display today, today, as God continues to de- demonstrate for us forevermore through the once and for all accomplished payment of his son's death on the cross. He is proving, proving, proving his love because it's still our greatest need. There's nothing greater that he could do. Wherever you are today and whatever you're going through, this verse tells you that right now, God loves you. Right now, God is showing you through the cross. And verse 5 drives it home to us even further by telling you that This God pours out his love in our hearts by his spirit. In other words, the love of God, you guys, is personal and particular. He doesn't just scatter his love over humanity in general. Oh, no, 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 no. He pours out his love into the specific particular hearts of specific men and women who have names, who have fears, who have struggles and hopes and stories of their own. He pours out his own love in our hearts by his spirit. Which leads right into the third assurance I want you to see. Number three, look at how God's love is a specific love For specific people. Oh, there are two hope-filled phrases in this verse. That bring the love of God down out of the clouds. 
and punch it right into our dark world and right into our dark hearts. In case you were thinking, oh, but I'm sure this, this love of God, you have to qualify for it. It's just for the elite. It's first class. It's people who deserve it. It's people who haven't done the things that I've done, Brad. Oh, listen to me. Two hope-filled phrases that bring the love of God out of the clouds and down into the specific dark hearts and lives of people just like you. Toward us and for us. Toward us, for us. Oh, praise God that his love is not just some fuzzy, generic love. His love and this free gift of eternal life that's found in his son because of Easter, because of the resurrection, because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. This free gift has a tag on it that says Jasmine, Jaden, Xavier, Lily, Elliot, Sarah, men and women, people, young and old, black and white. His love is poured out for particular people just like you towards us. Oh, you who once were objects of God's wrath because of your sin can, can become objects of his love because of his son. By simply placing your faith in Jesus Christ. Who he is and what he's done for you that you could never do for yourself. But now here's what just blows my mind. That you're never going to find in this world any love like this. It's my final point number four. Look at when God's love was first shown to us. Because the timing of this puts God's love in an altogether different category from anything that you know or have experienced in this world. You see it in verse 8? Starts with that little word, while. While. While we were still sinners. Not when God saw you getting it together, when God decided you deserved it, when God saw you were moving towards him anyway, when God could see that your heart was getting right. No, while we were still, we were still entrenched in our sin, entrenched in our rebellion, entrenched in our darkness of our own making. God loved us. And send his son to die for us. And that's not the only phrase that describes God's timing and our condition. There's some other phrases in this passage that drive home the incredible timing of God's love. And the horrible condition we were in. Two other phrases that are just as shocking. Look at verse 6. When we were still without strength. Some translations say powerless. You couldn't do anything for yourself. You couldn't save yourself. While we were still without strength, powerless. And look at verse 9. It says, when we were enemies. Oh, God first loved us. 
When we were sinners, powerless, enemies. And then verse 6, to top it off, goes on and says we were ungodly. Ungodly. But God comes crashing in with his love to interrupt and redirect forever the lives of sinful, powerless, ungodly enemies. Oh, what love. Oh, what love. And so I also hope that it's becoming painfully obvious something else when I say, while we were sinners, powerless, ungodly, enemies, something else should be coming into view that is painful to acknowledge, but helpful. It's becoming painfully obvious, I hope, that the love of God was unmerited. God didn't love us because he saw anything in us that deserved it, that merited it. His love did not move towards us because he first saw anything in us. Oh, no, there was nothing in us that caused God to love us. That's why the scriptures say God is love. He doesn't need the object to deserve it or merit it. He is love. We experience love in this world and we can practice some of it. At times we do love other people. But it could never be said of us, oh, Brad is love. Oh, no. Only God. He is love. Therefore, he does love apart from anything about the objects of his love. He doesn't need them to merit it or earn it or deserve it or love him back. He loves in spite of us. Oh, what love. And stay with me. While that might be unflattering to consider just how bad we are, it's also what gives us such security and puts the love of God in an altogether unique category. Because we never earned it, because God did not love us because of anything about us, therefore, it cannot change. Because God does not change. The love of of God. We've been lavished with a love that is rooted in God and God alone. So that God's love is the permanent, unshakable, irrevocable possession of every child of God. Whoever puts their trust in the Son of God. By faith. By faith. And so let me ask you a question as I close. If the love of God is so amazing, and it is, it's so amazing. Why doesn't everyone readily and quickly and easily respond to it and say yes to this kind of love? Yes, yes. What's the biggest reason that people Refuse to believe in Jesus and what he's done for us on the cross 
and through his resurrection from the dead. Don't make a mistake. It's not lack of evidence of God's love and God's son and God's resurrection. Oh no, that is not the biggest hurdle. That is not the biggest reason people resist. It's fear of letting go and losing control of your life. Oh, one of the greatest human fears, because it's rooted in one of the greatest human sins, is autonomy. I don't want to need others. I don't want anyone involved in my life. I don't want to be interfered with. Therefore, I hold on. I hold on. I hold on. Oh, you hear people say all the time, I'd love to believe in Jesus like you do. I'm happy for you. I just don't have that kind of faith. Listen to me. That is one of the biggest misconceptions and self-deceptions you could buy into. Because we all have faith. There's no human being on the planet that could continue doing another day without faith. Because the human heart longs for reason and purpose and hope. We all have faith. It's just a question of where you're placing your faith. See, absence of faith is not the problem. The presence of something else that you've already locked onto, where you have placed your faith, that's the problem. You realize that? You're already trusting in someone or something, and it just might be yourself. You think trusting in Jesus Christ is irrational? The most irrational thing you could ever do is to continue to trust in you and to think you are wise enough to set a standard of right and wrong and think you have the resources and power and ability to be the master of your own life and to save yourself. That's irrational. And deep in your heart, you know it. You know it. The reason people struggle to surrender and believe in Jesus is because their faith is already so fiercely and oftentimes irrationally locked on to something or someone else. And so right now, I'm not even asking you, listen to me, I'm not even asking you to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Do you know what I'm asking you right now? To be honest enough to acknowledge Where's your faith? What are you trusting in? What have you already locked onto? And I'm challenging you to let that go. Lay it down. Step away from what you are already trusting in. Oh, you've been trusting in something. I'm asking you to trust in someone better who took on flesh came into this world of chaos and suffering and suffered for you, died for you and rose again for you because he loves you. I'm calling you to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I want you to bow your heads right now. Or at least remove distractions. I know you're sitting at home or in the car or whatever. 
But I want you to do what you can to remove distractions right now because I really want you to think about this. Every person listening today has a decision to make. And I hope you realize to not decide and say, I'm not going to deal with that today. I'm going to put that off is to make a decision. That is to have made a decision. Oh, consider, come to Jesus Christ today. Believe that he is the son of God, that God today demonstrates his own love. Today, he is showing you his love in his son, the death and resurrection of his son. Don't say God doesn't love you. He is demonstrating his love for you today, today. Believe that Jesus is the son of God who died the only perfect death in payment for your sin debt and rose again, conquering this chaos and suffering and sin and Satan and hell that was each of our eternal destinies before he came. Put your trust in Jesus. And I know you might be afraid. So let me touch on that. If, if, you, fear, if you feel fear welling up in, inside of you as I call you to trust and to surrender and to lay down your life. Oh, listen to me. Let me tell you what's on the other side of letting go of your life and surrendering to Jesus and saying, yes, Lord Jesus You'll be forgiven and you'll have a hope like never before in the face of unsettling and fearful circumstances. Because your hope will now be tied to something outside of this world, not circumstances, not employment, not health issues, not horizontal relationships. Tied to something outside of this world. You'll have a peace and a joy that is grounded in something deeper than your circumstances. And you'll have a sense of being loved and accepted by someone who loves you, not based on you. Therefore, you can never be disqualified. He loves you because of himself. And you rest in that. Oh, come to Christ. Come to faith in Jesus Christ. If you'd like to become a Christian today, you'd say, I'm ready to make a decision and to surrender my life, to let go, to put down and to step away from what I've been trusting in. And it might have been you. If today you're ready, then just pray this simple prayer after me. Oh God, I know that I am a sinner and that I could never, ever do enough to overcome and to wipe away my sin in your sight. Thank you for sending your son to take on flesh and to die in my place and to take the punishment I should have received. I believe in Jesus who he is and what your scriptures say he has done for me that demonstrates forevermore your love to me. I put my faith in Jesus as my Lord. Come into my life 
take control. Fill me with your love, your peace, your joy. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you feel the world is broken? We do. Do you feel the shadows deepen? We do. But do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? We do. Do you wish that you could see it all me